Hi class. Start the chapter. Hopefully next week we start doing two chapters, but this chapter is easy because you know uh, next week we'll be starting uh, uh, some chapters that really they work together. So we'll do two chapters next week. So by the end we finish all the necessary things. Okay, so this chapter we will be talking about the regional economic integrations. And the definition for regional economic integration is an agreement among the countries in a geographic region to reduce or ultimately remove tariffs and non-tariff barriers to the free flow of goods, services and factors and production production between each other. It's basically you move all the barriers that between two countries where you can have a free flow of good and service between them. Example that we are living in is after American free trade agreement. <clears throat> so when you're producing products in USA and you want to sell it in Canada, there is no barriers, no tariffs on it, and vice versa, unless you know there is a certain region, uh, no agreement on it. Now there is a different level of integration, economic integration. The most one is uh, it is the the free trade agreement, which is NAFTA has this one, and then you have the Union Custom. The more you go out, the more there is a level of integration is higher. And then you have something called common market. We'll talk about them and the economic union like EU and then the political union when it becomes, uh, you know, two countries stands for one political point of view. Of economic integration like a free trade areas like NAFTA, custom unions, uh, we have a common market and economic union and political union, just like this one what we saw in the early graph. So the definition, the economic case of integration, why do we have integration? Regional economic integration can be seen as attempt to achieve additional gains from a free flow of trade and investment between the countries. As we said, I mean, if you take in economics with me or you take in with some of the, with the macroeconomics, you know that, you know, if there is two countries, each one specializes in something, it's better than they stay specialized and start trading between them. And instead of uh, each country will be making the same two different products. So this is the reason for the economic case of integration. The cost of producing is cheaper in another country than producing inside. Now there is a political case for integration is the linkage neighboring economics and making them increasingly dependent on each other. Creates an incentive for political cooperation between neighboring states. Usually what's happening, the first visit that's happening uh, after this election of USA, you will have the Prime Minister of Canada going to 
USA or vice versa, except the last time with Trump. And this stands for the political integration between them. Um, they are linking neighboring economics and making increasingly depend on each other because of the, uh, you know, the economic reason. The impediments to integration, despite the strong economic and political argument for integration, it has never been easy to achieve or sustain for the two main reasons. Everybody will be like to have some kind of uh, economic uh, and political integration, but there is difficulties, especially in the beginning. The first one is, although economic integration benefit the majority, it also has a cost. So that is a side cost for some other people. While, for example, while addition as a whole may benefit significantly, like that one in, the, in NAFTA, from a regional free trade agreement, certain group may lose, certain industry may lose, or certain region may, may lose within its countries. <clears throat> Moving to a free trade reg uh, regime involved you know, kind of has some plentiful adjustment. And uh, I think during this Brian Maroney's and NAFTA agreement, um, it was difficulties, it took time and a hard time until this came to sign between USA and Canada and eventually USA, Canada and Mexico. And then we went up to uh, Chile. A second reason or impediment to integration arise from the concerns of overall uh, sovereignty. For example, you know, Mexico concerns that they don't have 100% control over their oil liberation and they have to have a liberations. And, you know, um, there is issues that the, the country might use it for the political reason, for the strength of its own, own uh, uh, you know, concerns but if you make it a free trade and open up the head everything so they might lose some kind of a, a sovereignty or they might lose some kind of a power over these things so the case against the regional integration in some recent years some economics has expressed the concern that the benefits of a regional integration have been oversold well the costs have been uh, ignored. <clears throat> and uh, this is probably sometimes a true case if you start digging around and start understanding deeper what kind of integration is happening, economic integration between countries. So um, it might hurt some countries, it might hurt some regions, it might hurt some people, some group uh, within the countries. For example, um, one of the argument for NAFTA is the fact that they say that uh, it's benefited Canada and the States and Mexico and, you know, Chile from it. But the, the other side of our uh, uh, argument saying, okay, because when they open all the market to each other, everybody start looking to minimize their costs. So everybody moved their, you know, productions outside of this block and they put it in somewhere in a third world country or developing country. So it's much cheaper there. So everybody is losing in this case. That's another side of our uh, argument saying that it, it has a cost. So the benefit of a region into regional integration are determined by 
the extent of the trade creation as opposed to the trade diversion. So what's a trade creation and what's a trade diversion? Trade creation occur when high, high cost domestic producers are replaced by a low cost producer within the free trade. Like to put it easily when high cost of producing clothing in Canada replaced by low cost producing same clothes in Mexico. But the a trade diversion is occurs when the lower cost external supplier are replaced by a higher cost supplier within uh, the free trade areas. So this is like the trade diversion. So the lower cost external suppliers from that block is replaced by higher cost supplier within the, the, free, uh, the free trade areas. Now, lots of examples, and there was things that's happening every once in a while that is kind of integration showing up, some of them very successful, like NAFTA or European Union, very, uh, and some of them less successful, like GCC, which is the Gulf. Uh, here, uh, what we have um, in European Union integration, we have modern members of the European unions, which is with this color, the Luxembourg, Spain, up to Finland and Sweden. And then you got the candidate and the political candidates is like a, all old Yugoslavian countries, plus Turkey, who is planning to join the U union. And the non-members, as you know, Russia, Belarus, Ukrainian, these are the countries who's that in Europe that they non-union with them. So the political structure of the European Union, the five main institution in this structure are in the European Union, we have the European Council, sometimes you heard them on the news, the Council of Ministers, the European Commission, the European uh, Parliament and Court of uh, Justice, which is in Denmark, uh, Netherlands. European Union, who are the members? European Union was initially composed of 15 member states represent of 374 million. So exporting to this European Union might be very as useful as, you know, because they are one market. There is a difference in the language, but the legal important export is the same. And the service, the legal part of it is the same, except the language might make it some difficulties, but the currency is one, which is Euro. Started with the Belgium 1950 with Germany and France, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Then they joined more in 1973. You had Denmark, Ireland, uh, United Kingdom joining them. And then there was the Greece, 1981 and Spain and goes on up to Sweden. Now there is some reverse, we, we noticed that uh, uh, something called Brexit, which is United Kingdom never settled with this uh, European, never liked it politically and, and you know, sovereignty. So they're trying to leave and it's called the Brexit for United Kingdom. Now the issues is happening is, Half of the Ireland is a country and half is belong to United Kingdom. There is a whole issue 
issue about how the island will be, uh, which part of the island is going to be staying with the um, European Union, which one is moving out. European Union, who are the member, the new members in 2004? The Greek sector of Cyprus, they joined. The Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Malta, Poland, Slovakia, and Slovenia. For example, some countries did not join 100% yet. Like, for example, if you go to Hungary, they give them time to you know, move to up to the standard because um, they are suffering economically. So if they join them, they might be destroyed totally as a country. So they're giving them some leeways, some benefits to work out their economic situation. In 2007, we had Bulgaria, Romania joined, bringing the total members of 27 nations and Croatia in 2013 brought the total of 28. The good part of it, when you're traveling, as I traveled through these European countries, you don't feel there is a, a border. There used to be a border, but there is none. Sometimes you get stopped by the police, just checking, but you don't know who's these police, for example. So there used to be borders, but it's done so very beautifully, smoothly. Um, you know, there is some cooperation politically and economically, yet there have there some problems also, but uh, the benefit is much higher than the, the cost. But there is a bit, uh, uh, from other point of view, the cost is a little bit significant and we will talk about it. European Union, who are the members is, you have the Croatia and Turkey both began negotiation in 2005, but you had Croatia joined in 2003. Turkey still, joined, still not joined. Several EU members have a human right concern about Turkey. And also there is a political reason um, and economical reason. Turkey is one of the big population and cheap labor there, and they do have a competitive product. So having them to join the European Union might, European Union might lose lots of jobs that is, although low income jobs, but they like to keep them as now. So there is, you know, human rights, political and economic also. Missing an official EU candidate in 2005, but no date has been set to begin their members. Adopted by, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a dollars, currencies now euro. The benefit of having a common currency is the individual and business will realize significant saving from having only one currency because there is no trade of currencies and so there is no cost of trade of currencies between them. A common currency might make it easy to compare the prices across Europe. European producer will be forced to look for 
ways to reduce their production costs or maintain profits. So um, it's put them in a very in a competitive situation and supports the development of pan-European capital market. On the other hand, there is a cost for them, and the cost is the national authorities have lost the control of monetary policy. You know, there's two two policies that they uh, a country will work with it to adjust the economic situation. One, the fiscal policy, and another is monetary policy. Here, they each country, as a one country, lost this authority over this um, uh, control over one of the tools that they can uh, set up the economic situation of their own countries because they cannot decide whether they increase the price, interest, or lower the price of their the euro. The Maastricht treaty called for establishment of independent European Central Bank. So there might be some central bank, European Central has been has the responsibility to set up the interest rate and to determine monetary policy for the Eurozone. So the countries are not allow each country, but there is, uh, you know, European Central Bank. Now we go with the North America, which is NAFTA. NAFTA respond, uh, argue that NAFTA should be viewed as the opportunity to create an enlarged and more efficient productive base for their entire region. Only like one likely effect of NAFTA will be that many US and Canadian firms will move some production to Mexico, which is did to take advantage of lower labor. But as I said in earlier, also now Mexico is losing uh, the laborers to uh, Bangladesh for Vietnam, for Brunei, there's, there's much cheaper laborers. Because, uh, for example, the North American, the Canadian, and the American wants to be more competitive. So they have to, and instead of moving to Mexico, they move to outside somewhere. Arguably, so because uh, our laborers' costs in Mexico are both one tenth of those found in the United States. So, this basically, the, the sol to solve these issues is this country should move to more service oriented, more advanced technology to get, you know, more competitive. Now, as I said, the case against NAFTA. Those who oppose NAFTA claim that the ratifications would be followed by a mass exodus of jobs from the United States and Canada into Mexico as employers shout to profit from Mexico, lower wage and less strict environment and laborers. The period since NAFTA took effect has had a little impact their own trend already in place. So it's really, some people saying did not take any impact on the, you know, the trade and everything. And somebody is like, a, you know, um, the American government during Trump says, no, they did affect us heavily. There is another block of trading block called the BRIC, and then now it's called the BRICS. And BRICS also, uh, made up of four countries and they add South Africa to it. Iran is also potential there to, or a monitor there. 
there are some other countries, but mostly Iran is very active also as of trying to be the sixth one. So we have the Brazil, we have Russia, we have India and China. And uh, they, as we said, they added South Africa, which has became a BRICS. And they are the largest economic outside of the OECD. Check the OECD where it stands and what it does uh, as, as a block. BRICS or BRIC countries, unlike the other countries that make up the G7, and there was a G7, you know, is made of Canada, USA, Japan, Italy, England, um, I believe, uh, it, uh, and uh, France and Germany. These are the countries also, they make the uh, great country, great seven countries, so they call them G7. But unlike the countries that make up the G7, there are large difference between BRICS countries. Now, two of them is democratics or democracies there, while the other two authoritarian regime, but business is business, as I believe. And, uh, and sometimes, most of the time, economics takes over the business issues. There is also what we call ASEAN, and ASEAN is members of countries that do not include the big economics of they not include China, they not include Japan and South of Korea, and made of Myanmar, Thailand, uh, Philippines, Malaysia, Cambodia, uh, Indonesia. Um, uh, these are the countries that they are uh, ASEAN. And I believe uh, Malaysia is, yes, Malaysia is also part of it. So this is only introductions of different blocks, and it's nice to know how do they work and what's the trade between them. So it's easy to help us to see how we can deal with them servicely from the service point of view, from the product point of view. We will try step-by-step step step now shifting to how to set up the international product and services, uh, trade, export, and import. Thank you for your time and I'll see you next week.